open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. We continue through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're to a portion of the, the letter which is wonderful, special, precious to all saints. Concerning the atonement of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross, meaning he took our place. To understand this, I have to describe a bit of God's holiness, uh, to understand his justice, his wrath, and his sin, his righteous fury and anger against sin. And then to, from that light to, to shine on Jesus and to show us Christ. And I'm comforted in that so many pastors before me have acknowledged that this is impossible. It's impossible. Charles Spurgeon, whenever he would speak specifically on the cross, he would tell his congregation, I'm, I'm attempting an impossible task. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Yet with the Holy Spirit's help, maybe we'll see us through a glass darkly. Maybe we'll catch a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Packer wrote of the cross and the wrath of God. God's wrath is this holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of His holiness. It issues in a positive outgoing of divine displeasure. This righteous anger, the right reaching of moral perfection in the Creator toward moral perversity in the creature. So far from the manifestation of God's wrath and punishing sin being morally doubtful, the thing that would be morally doubtful would be for him not to show his wrath in this way. God is not just. That is, he does not act in the way that is right. He does not do what is proper to a judge unless he inflicts upon all sin and wrongdoing the penalty it deserves. So this places us in the right frame of mind to hear the gospel. Luther, this is what inspired Luther's conversion. As he understood the gospel, especially as shown in the book of Romans, he wondered, how could a holy God be reconciled to a sinful creature like myself? An unworthy sinner. This is where Christianity didn't just start for Luther. This is where Christianity, true Christianity, starts for all of us. For here we see our need of a Savior. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word? His inerrant word has been preserved by the Holy Spirit for you until this day. Beginning in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. 
be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, our almighty God, you sit upon your throne and before you all creatures must be silent. Before your throne we must stand in awe of your majesty, your holiness. We pray that our hearts now would be free from distraction, that our hearts would be silent, that we would receive the word of Christ, that you would unstop our ears, soften our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would do his mighty work through this broken vessel. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in this particular passage for the next two, maybe three weeks. The focus of today is reconciliation. Reconciliation. If you look at the last four verses, what we just read, think of how long this letter is. Turn through the next three, four, five pages <coughs> of your scriptures. Imagine this being written on a, on a papyrus scroll of some kind, or this is a long letter. And yet, in these four verses, Paul uses the word to reconcile or some form of it five times. So this is a, a powerful punch in this little letter of reconciliation. This is the point that he's making in this part of the word, and it's a therefore as well. In other words, the things that he said previously are leading up to this point, therefore, we're a new creation. And he describes how this came about. Namely, that God reconciled himself to us through the work of Jesus Christ. Reconcile. Reconciliation. Reconcile. He says it again and again. When we think of our sin, it's often so we read these verses and it's just so easy. We don't think sin is really that important. It's not that big a deal. We all sin. The reality is it's an impossibility from our perspective that God, the Holy God, would be reconciled to us. So we're going to talk about this destroyed relationship first. That's the first thing we'll discuss, the, the destroyed relationship why we needed to be reconciled in the first place. Then we'll go on to discuss how God did this. It was by God, the triune God, and it was through Jesus Christ. So, why did Paul say that all this is from God in verse 18? All this is from God. That, that God reconciled us to himself, and it was all God. You see, he had to do the reconciling, both of himself to us and us to himself. As I mentioned, this is easy for us to say, but the problem is insurmountable. From our perspective, it's impossible. Why? 
Well, there's a problem. God's love is an infinite love. God's justice is an infinite justice. God's wisdom is an infinite wisdom. His goodness is an infinite goodness. His righteousness is an infinite righteousness. And all of it is, is wrapped up in His holiness, which is an infinite purity and holiness. And contrasted to this is our own natural proclivity to sin. We all love doing the things of our flesh. We all are enticed by the world daily. We're also prone to temptation and backsliding. And when the thoughts and intentions of our hearts are laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, we realize if we are in faith that this is something outside of us. Then we respond like the hymn writers. Like John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He got it. He understood just a little bit of what had been done for him. Or Isaac Watts, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Just a glimpse of of the reconciliation that God brought about from wretched sinners in a holy God. John Murray helpfully states that this enmity and this alienation that exists between God and man is twofold. It's our alienation from God and God's alienation from us. For our side, we are his active enemies. We, apart from Christ, we hate God. Whether the unredeemed man knows it or not, he's at enmity with God and he serves the will of his father, the devil. There's no in-between. You serve God or you serve Satan. There's no fence sitting here. So our alienation from God is not just a mistake. It's actively pursuing the will of the devil. We are at enmity with God. We're his enemies. But his alienation from us is that he's holy and he's against all sin and all rebellion. And he considers those who rebel against him his enemies as well. And yet in this, although it seems that the majority of the world is at enmity with God, we see his great mercy, don't we? He doesn't strike everyone dead immediately. He shines his sun on the righteous and the unrighteous, and he lets it rain on the just and the unjust, although everyone deserves immediate execution. Such is the mercy of our God, who would love his enemies with a caring and providing love. And yet spiritually he hides his face from them. They will not see his glory. They will see none of his glory except through Jesus Christ. And what awaits them is eternal wrath. You, you might have heard it said by some well-meaning people, well, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. The unfortunate news is that scriptures do not teach that. Psalm chapter 5 says, 
You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. But you see, this hatred is not like our hatred, a hatred that's sinful, an anger that's sinful. This is a holy, righteous, just wrath and hatred against all God's enemies. This righteous fury is directed toward all those who reject him. And it must be this way because he is infinitely righteous and infinitely pure. Sin must be hated. And those who pursue sin experience his wrath and his fury. If not now, they will later. So you see, the chasm between the throne of God, the holy God, and sinful man is an infinite one. It's not something we measure by degrees. <clears throat> it's not that we somehow work our way slowly up to heaven. It's not possible. Because this is not, it's, it's, it's a measure of infinitude. You cannot ever fathom or do justice to the great separation caused by our sin. This sin is infinitely abhorrent to a holy God. And in our sin, we are infinitely repulsive to a holy God. So if you can just even by God's Spirit grasp a little bit of this truth, you are on the road to understanding a little bit of why we needed a perfect Savior to reconcile us to God. This is just to catch a glimpse of the problem caused by sin. Well, of course, this chasm is bridged by God himself, by Jesus Christ. So Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So, knowing what I've just told you, when you read this one sentence, you realize that Paul is, he's saying much. All this is from God and through Christ. He bridged this, this, this chasm between us, between God's perfect holiness and our, our, our propensity to all ways be sinning. What we know in the scriptures is sufficient for our salvation and life and holiness. This is true. But our knowledge, our, our knowledge of what God did, although sufficient for salvation, is infinitely inadequate to understand fully. You've been purchased with a price. What price is that when Christ died on the cross? What did he do? We, we can't understand it all. What he did was so amazing. <clears throat> so Paul can say the life you now live is belonging to God. It's a life lived unto God. These words which once just passed over us now take on new meaning. We realize that we've been set free from sin and death. In other words, that chasm has been bridged by Jesus Christ. You see, we cannot conceive the price that was paid. When God reconciled us to himself, 
through Christ. What a Christ indeed. To make an evil man right with a holy God. Only Christ could do this. Only the triune God could do it. Let's look at that as the second point. We were reconciled by God. By the triune God. Again, the hymn writers of old, there are some good hymn writers today too. Do not get me wrong. But the hymn writers of old, the hymns that have, that have been passed down for hundreds of years were written by theologians. And you hear these truths just ringing through your ears. You were reconciled by God. He had to do it. Augustus Toplady wrote, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? My zeal meaning, could I work as hard as ever and work forever for your glory? In my tears, could I be as sorrowful for my sins as ever? Could they flow forever and ever? He says, all for sin could not atone. That wouldn't be enough. Something more had to be done. Thou must save and thou alone. If you have faith in Christ, what a gift you've been given. It's from God. What Christ did, what God did, what the Spirit worked in you. It was a work of God. The theological term, I love it, is monergism. It's from two Greek words, one for one and one for energy. Mono, gism, monergism. God is solely responsible for a person's salvation. He didn't do 99% of the work and let you just do the last bit. No, he did it all. This creation, new creation work of salvation is completely from God. If you ever have an opportunity to go to the Sistine Chapel, actually, when Art talked about the Sistine Chapel in Sunday school, I thought, Lord, he's always stealing my thunder. But if you ever have a chance to go, it is worth standing in line to see this wonderful work of art. But it's not, as Art was alluding to, it's not biblically, historically perfect. Of course, how can it be? But the, the picture that's so famous is this bearded man representing God reaching down to Adam, right? You know the other side of it, Adam reaching up to God. That didn't happen. Adam did not reach up to God. After the, the sin that he and Eve committed, they were God's enemies until they were restored by the shedding of blood. None of us reach up to God. None of us. And yet he reached down to you. Christ said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He said this to his apostles. He said to us, it's all from God. Our salvation is literally all from God. The triune God determined long ago to show mercy on humanity. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. This was the plan. And it's not just a few people that He saved. 
The book of Revelation describes the throne of God and surrounded by multitudes upon multitudes, myriads and myriads, millions and millions and billions of people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this reconciliation that God did, he did it through Christ. And it's a certainty because it flowed from the throne of God. It's a certainty because it was part of his sovereign plan. <clears throat> this work continues. We'll discuss next week in greater detail this ministry of, ministry of reconciliation. The work continues. The kingdom work continues. Which is why he says in verse 19 that God in Christ is reconciling or was reconciling the word to himself. It's actually in the Greek a present active verb. Is reconciling. It's still happening. The kingdom is still coming. The kingdom has come and that Christ has come to establish his kingdom. But it's not yet fulfilled. So it's still in the process of coming. That's why we're here. To glorify God. That's why we go out as lights into the world. To bring others with us. To shine our lights. To be salt. That's why pastors and teachers have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Proclaiming the completed work of Christ. Calling sinners to himself. A full and free offer of salvation. To all who would believe. And Christ someday will return. When the very last person for whom he died. Comes to faith. After that. He's coming back. So this is all done by God. And it's through Christ. It's in Christ. Christ is the one who overcame this great chasm created by our sin. So the question, I think, is how? Like, yeah, we understand. He was on the cross. How did that help us? What, in fact, happened? Romans 5, verses 10 and 11 state, for if we were, if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. So we are reconciled by the death of his son and saved by his life. 1 Corinthians, sorry, Colossians is where I'm going. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him, Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. <clears throat> by his death, he has reconciled us. The holy God 
who holds all things together, the head of the church. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in him only could we be reconciled to God. He's speaking the death of Christ, of the atonement. The sacrifice of the spotted, spotless Lamb of God. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. And this is the glory of the gospel. This is it, folks. We were lost in sin and hopelessly lost, unable to approach God. And Jesus came, the second person of the Trinity, holy, holy, holy Son of God, came to earth. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a saint. So through Christ, through Jesus, this happened. This is the last point. We're reconciled by God, solely by God, but through Jesus Christ. In verse 19 and verse 21, we see probably the most succinct and, and powerful explanation of the gospel, of the atonement, that you will find in Scripture. Again, this wonderful work, I'm going to fail if you think I'm going to adequately describe it. But by the Holy Spirit, I pray that we do understand what we need to. Let us pray for a moment. Father in heaven, Lord, we approach your word with trembling and with humility, and we pray in Jesus' name that you would open our hearts we would realize the depth of our sin and the wonder of our Savior, that we would love Him. Lord, open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. The work of atonement. In Christ, God reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him. Our trespasses for us are a small thing. We sin all the time. You even rationalize your sin. Even before you do it, well, I'll just do thing. It doesn't matter. That It's just a small thing. It's a white lie. Nobody's here. Nobody will see this. Your sin doesn't really weigh on you. But when Christ came, do you realize that even the smallest sin deserved an eternity of wrath and Christ took it? But it wasn't just a small sin. It was all the sin for all of his people. The eternity of the cross was an eternity of hell. In those few hours, he took an eternity of wrath on his shoulders for you. This is atonement. Atoning for our sins. Paying for our sins. Covering our sins. Expiating our sins. Expiation just means covering or cleansing. This reminds us of the Old Testament sacrifices. <coughs> Jesus is described as the lamb who was slain. So let's say you're coming, I'm a, I'm a Jewish priest now, 3,000 years ago, and you are coming because you want to worship God and be right with God, and you've sinned. And if your sin was unintentional, in other words, it wasn't, you're not rebelling against God, you bring a lamb, spotless, a live lamb that you've been caring for for this reason, and you bring it to me. 
and you put your hands on it, and I kill it, and I take the blood from the lamb, and I sprinkle it on the altar, and we burn it. And this would atone for your sin. But this wasn't the atonement. This pointed to Jesus, the Lamb of God. This is why in Romans chapter 3, Paul says that we're justified because God passed over previous sins. In other words, those sins for those Israelites were not paid for. This was a passing over. God had not forgotten. He had allowed them to remain in communion with himself and to worship. But that sin was not paid for until Christ came. He passed over former sins to show his righteousness at the present time in Christ. He didn't forget about any sin. He didn't discard a sin. Not one. Every sin will be paid for, either by you in hell forever, or by Christ on the cross. Two options. But Christ came to earth. He must need to come to earth to do that work. He left his Father's throne above, so free and so infinite his grace, and he emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. This is the atonement. And he came not as a conquering king, but as we read in Isaiah 53, he came as a suffering slave. He came to serve others, not to be served. He was made to be sin, verse 21, who knew no sin. Our sins were put on Jesus. Again, for us, sin is normal. For him, remember who he is. He is that perfectly holy God that we described at the beginning of this morning. Never sinned. Never sinned. Never experienced any part of sin. And all the sin was put on him on the cross. He didn't just die like a lamb dies. Before he died, he experienced an eternity of wrath. An eternal wrath that we will never understand fully. He was made to be sin, though he knew no sin. What we're talking here about is God's propitiation of sin. So there's two parts of the atonement. There's the expiation, the covering of sin, but there's also the propitiation which is taking the wrath of God, the punishment due for us on himself. And all this was substitutionary. He took our place. He did it. So that we don't have to. To bring us to himself, he did it for his bride. So if you catch a glimpse, a shadow of this, then you understand just a little bit of why Christ came to the cross. He bore a penalty. He closed the chasm. In your place, condemned, he stood. But there's even more to it than that. Paul continues and says that we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't just cancel the debt. He didn't just redeem us from prison. He made us his own family. Not only are we forgiven, we're made righteous. Not that we don't sin anymore but that we're legally righteous before a perfectly just God. That's why when God looks down at you, the Bible can say he delights in you if you have faith in him. Before that, he hates you. He must. You're his enemy. You rebel against him every day. You hate him and his word. 
So what a wonder. You go from the worthless worm, the wretch, who is in enmity with God, who hates God and all that he's done, to being right by his side. We can't imagine. We can't imagine what God has done for us. And it was all done through Christ. This is the wonder of the gospel. Before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I'll conclude with this. It's a mystery. <clears throat> Wesley wrote, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies." The immortal God dies. This is the wonder of the gospel. The Holy One took our place. It's on these events that all our hopes rest. Saints, if you have hope at all, it's because Christ lived perfectly. He died. He rose again on the third day and he ascended into heaven. And he's coming again. If this is not true, then we all just need to stop coming. We went from being infinitely distant from God to infinitely close because of Christ. That's why we can say that he is our rock of ages. He's a cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath to make me pure. Let us turn now to a time of the Lord's Supper. What a wonderful text before we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, of course, is a picture of the gospel. 